So hello and welcome to Christ City Church. Thank you to everyone who is here in person and also to our viewers online. We're happy to have you. Thank you for being here, choosing to make time to fellowship with us and to be before the Lord. Um, my name is Ife. I am one of the elders here at Christ City Church. Um, over these next few weeks, you're going to see a lot of elders who will be doing announcements. If you have questions, concerns, comments about the church, we are duty bound to be a captive audience. <laughs> so feel free to find these faces along with the staff, give the staff a break, and we're here to um, be a resource in any way that we can. So this face will sit with you for as long as you like. So today we have two scripture readings. Both are from Matthew's Gospel. The first is chapter 22, and it begins in verse 34. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. The second reading is from Matthew 5, and it begins in verse 43. You have heard, it, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. This is the word of the Lord. Just kidding. If you could just join me in a time of prayer for Lisa as she comes to bring the word for us. Father, we are grateful to be in the presence of one another and in your presence today. We thank you that you have been with Lisa as she has prepared to bring your word. We pray, Father, that even now as she comes forward and ministers to us in this way, that your spirit would be present with her, giving her the words that we need to meet the situations that are in our lives and that the church needs to move forward in its calling. We pray, Father, that you would be with her and in your presence with her, you would minister to us. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. Well, good morning, good morning, good morning. So good to see you guys. Well, thank you from someone over here. Um, wow, I'm so glad for us to be back together 
for the second week, um, whether you are here in person or you're online with us. Um, it's exciting to be back together. My name is Lisa Watson, and I am one of the pastors here at Christ City Church, and I am just delighted to be here today with you. And I got to say, you know, as I was preparing the sermon, I was thinking, well, I mean, like, where do we begin? And I just had this overwhelming feeling of, I love this church. If I, if I have one thing to say to you at the very beginning of a, of a sermon that I'm now preaching for the very first time in person for 20 months, what I want you to know is I love you. I love this church. I love who we are and what we're about. I love you and I, and I love getting to follow Jesus and trying to figure out what that means in Washington, D.C. in 2021. I love learning from you. I love sharing with you what God has shown to me and shared with me. It brings me so much joy to be here this morning, and I'm, I'm glad that you're here. Um, and, and Justin, last week when, when he was doing you know, his introduction, and I just want to follow up in his very good ways, um, said, it's been a little while since we have been together. And it helps us, the pastoral team and the preachers, if you respond to us when we say things that you know you kind of feel a little bit in your heart. Um, so I would invite you, uh, as you're comfortable, if you like something, you can like, you know, the Cubans, I'm Cuban. They wave their hand like this, my abuela. She would be like, oh, I see. She would wave her hand. If you like that, you can snap if you like that. If you like to say something, amen, or go ahead, whatever it is that you like, you can, I would just invite you to do that. It makes it a little more interesting. Um, so join me as I give to you and you can give back to me. We're in a sermon series entitled Who We Are. In a world that is so full of, of events and emotions and of voices, it is easy to forget our identity, our calling, our convictions. And in this series, we're introduced and reintroduced to Christ City's vision, to see the flourishing of God's kingdom on display in every life and every sphere of life, in DC and beyond, and our mission love God, love others, make disciples. The calling on God, the calling of God on each of us individually and all of us together. We're reminding ourselves through the scriptures about what it means for us to live out our vision and our mission. We are people of the great commission and the great commandment. And last week, Justin preached about what it means to love God and how that takes shape and expression at Christ City. This week, we're going to look at what it means to love others. And I'm going to touch on the why we love and the what love looks like for us as individuals and as a church. Now, some of you know I'm a mom of two teenage boys. Um, life in our house is very active. We have kids from the neighborhood and from the broader city in and out of our house most of the day and into the evenings most weekends. My kids, they love to ride bikes. They ride in Navy Yard, and they ride in the wharf, and they ride here in Northeast, and they ride all over Southeast. And Mr. Love sees our kids everywhere. <laughs> and he'll always tell me on Sunday morning, I saw your boys. And last week, Kierden, one of the friends, um, had a bike accident, and he scraped up his knee. And the best solution he could find in the moment was a sock to bandage his bloody knee. So he gets to my house, I'm like, oh, hey, what do you got on your knee there? And he's like, oh, I fell off my bike. I'm like, is that a sock? 
on your knee. Yeah, 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 but it's clean. I'm like, I just love the creativity and ingenuity of the teenage male mind. Can I get an amen? Thank you. <laughs> so I asked him if I could clean it up for him. And uh, he said, yeah, and he was really sweet. And he, he let me put the Band-Aids on. You know, he's 15. No 15-year-old boy wants a mama bandaging up his knee, but he did it. It was so sweet. And while I was crouched down taking care of his relatively small wound on his knee, I recalled the story to him of little wild Lisa in her young years, living in a corner house on a street in Miami, Florida, that had just enough slope to feel the speed build up as I was riding my bike and pedaling. I would ride careening recklessly towards that corner where my house was. And oftentimes, oftentimes I, uh, I might have underestimated like my ability to control the bike, right? So I'm just like barreling towards the, the curve and whew, like forehead to pavement, elbows and knees all over the place. I would wreck over and over and over. Scraped up knees and elbows, I'd pick myself up, a perfect little bloodied mess. Because I loved adventure more than I loved carefulness with myself. I just had another need to feel that rush riding down the street completely out of control. But that same wild daredevil Lisa, when it came to relationships and loving people around me, was totally different. I was tender and harmonious. I was the peacemaker in my family and in our friends' circles. To the extent that I was adventurous and a little reckless with myself, to that same extent, I was careful and loving with, with family and friends. And that's the way I am today. It's just how I'm wired. If there's an adventure, I want to experience it. If there's a wound, I want to heal it. And Kierden gave me the joy last week of bandaging up his wounded knee. He let me live into who I am and how I was made to love others. As a church, we have an identity too. It's not just people that have identities. It's, it's, it's a church and it's groups. And we have an identity, and I get the joy this morning of helping us remember the ways that we love others well, both the why and the what of who we are. And our central passage this morning, Ifa read earlier, Matthew 22, 34, it says, hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. When Jesus gets asked, what's the greatest commandment, the most important thing to know and to follow, he summarizes all of the Hebrew scriptures in two verses, just two primary things, love God, and love others. The first and greatest commandment comes from Deuteronomy 6, and Justin covered that one last week. If you haven't heard it, go to one of our channels and listen to that sermon. It was really great. 
The second comes from actually a scripture in Leviticus 19.18 that says, Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. When considering the reason why we love others, it's a little hard from the text to get around the word commandment, right? The Pharisees were asking, what's the greatest commandment? And so as followers of Jesus, we're like, okay, if it says commandment, that pretty much means I got to do it. Um, so that's what we're supposed to do. For those of us who consider ourselves followers of Jesus, it's plain to see we love others because he commanded us to. All the law, all the demands of the prophets in the Hebrew scriptures can be fulfilled if we take these two things seriously. Now, we got to acknowledge that, like, because we're commanded to, that doesn't exactly play very well in our culture, right? Like, our broader culture, Western culture, we, uh, we question authority. Um, we believe that our own personal truth is supreme. And we consider submission to others to be for the weak. But as for us, followers of Jesus, part of the way that we love God is by acknowledging we are not our own gods. Our worship involves surrender and obedience to God who is characterized by love and by goodness and mercy and justice and sacrifice. When we obey the commandments of God, we acknowledge that God is greater, better, more loving than our minds can comprehend. He is worthy of our love towards him and our obedience as we love others. Thank you. So that's part of why we love. Now, I think that's, and I got to acknowledge, this happens to me too. I think that so many of us have the perception that we're, either we still have it or we're trying to grow out of it, that the Christian life is about following a bunch of do's and don'ts, and that the Bible is, is the book of the do's and don'ts, of the rules of Christianity. Now, that is the nature of religion in general, but that is not the invitation of Jesus to us, his followers. These two commandments are not just there so that we have marching orders and we know what to do. God, because he loves us, allows us to decide what we want in response to his love. So what we actually have is an invitation to obedience and to surrender. It's an invitation to the beauty and the joy of living a life that is marked by love, love of God and love of others. That is the invitation. First John 4 brings some additional clarity for us on why we love others, and it says, this is like excerpts from the chapter, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that God loved us. Dear friends, since God so loved we also ought to love one another. We love because God loved us first. God did it first. He loved first. He sacrificed first. And we get to choose into that love and live in light of it. We have a very good God. He could have made us, he could have made any of creation to forcibly love him. 
And yet he chose to give us the opportunity to choose into that love. We just, a few minutes ago, sang about the awesomeness of our God, didn't we? The one who is mighty, who is our protector, who is awesome, who is unimaginable, who, is, who has made us in his image. In the creation narrative, in Genesis, we read that human beings are made in God's image, in God's likeness. What we call this is the Imago Dei, the image of God. And by being made in God's image, we are actually designed to love. We are designed to love. Part of what it means to be fully human, you and I to be fully human, is to love. To love God and to love others. And when we live in light of Jesus' invitation, his commandment to love our neighbor as ourselves, we bear witness we bear witness to the world of how good God is. Jesus in John 13, 34 says to his disciples, I give you a new commandment that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also should love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. Did you hear that? By the way that we love one another, that is how people will know that we are followers of Jesus. It's how we bear witness. How we uphold one another, how we care for one another, how we challenge and how we grow with one another. This, Jesus says, is a defining mark of people who claim to follow him. If we will see the flourishing of God's kingdom on display in every life, in every sphere of life in DC and beyond, we gotta love others. We gotta love our neighbors. We must embody the love of God in the world so that others too can respond to God's goodness and his great love. But love can look a lot of ways, can it? So what do we mean when we say love others? As followers of Jesus, we take our cues from him. And I find it really um, poignant that when Jesus was delivering his very first sermon, very first sermon after he's been tempted in the wilderness he's now an adult he goes into a synagogue and the very first things that he says are this the spirit of the sovereign lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor he has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free to proclaim the year of the lord's favor this was Jesus' purpose. As he was revealing what he was about to do, these were the things that he opened up with, what was going to mark his life. These were some of the ways that he loved his neighbors. Who we are and how we love others mirrors these things. Our love takes shape in individual and in corporate ways. It takes shape locally and nationally and globally. While loving others at Christ City is often interpersonal, it is also systemic. Because we understand that sin has not just corrupted individual people, but also institutions. And in order to love well and pursue God's kingdom flourishing for everyone, we must address the systems and structures that marginalize our neighbors. Amen? Amen. So it helps every once in a while to remember and to take stock of who we are and what we do. And admittedly for the past 20 months, it has been a little hard because we haven't been able to do things together. We haven't been able to share space with one another in quite the same way. 
all the more reason to remind ourselves of who we are and what we're about. At Christ City, we love our neighbors by loving this school, Minor Elementary. We promote the flourishing of kids and parents and teachers by providing childcare for the parent-teacher organization meetings. Why? Because the playing field isn't exactly level for all the families here at this school. Equity hasn't yet been achieved, and we know that for justice to be done, everybody should be at the table. Everybody must be at the table. Some families have childcare, some families don't. All families should have a seat at the table and a voice in the conversation about what makes for a good school and good classrooms here at Minor. Education creates opportunities out of poverty and 13% of Minor students are experiencing homelessness. 61% are considered at risk. Only 16% are at grade level or above in math and the number is lower than that for reading. Proficiency on these assessments is linked to future successes and high school graduation. A good education promotes human flourishing, so we demonstrate the good news of Jesus by coloring, by doing dot to dots, by playing duck duck goose for a couple hours a month so that kids can be in a safe place and parents and teachers can determine how to provide the best education for these kids. Loving others looks like meal trains. When we have surgeries and when we're sick, we send food when babies are born and when we move from one place to the other. Let's be honest. Our meal train game is strong at Christ City. Am I right? If you've gotten a meal train or you've been involved with a meal train, raise your hand. Okay, yes, that is good. Um, Here's the thing, we don't just provide food for ourselves here in our church. We, we volunteer at minor mutual aid events. Families from the area can come and get the food and the supplies they need, and the need has been great because families in this community have been disproportionately impacted by the pandemic. Beyond volunteering, man, you all supply mountains of diapers. You all should see the boxes that show up on my porch and at the church office as tall as I am, mountains of diapers to bless this community, to demonstrate the good news of the kingdom of God because families need diapers. It's not, it's not meaningless, it's not pointless. And despite all of the challenges of serving during the past year and a half, this is one of the things we've been able to be consistent about. We love our neighbors through minor mutual aid. We love others by helping to organize around and advocate for deeply affordable housing in this area, specifically at Reservation 13 by the old RFK Stadium. Having quality, affordable housing reflects the provision and the flourishing of the kingdom to come. No one will, experiencing, will experience homelessness in eternity. No one will experience housing insecurity. There is a place for everyone. We demonstrate that kingdom when we pursue ways to provide affordable housing for families and individuals in our city. We come alongside young people to support their efforts in reducing gun violence. Pathways to Power is a student-led initiative that started out of Thurgood Marshall Academy, and it seeks to support and empower local young people to take lead on causes that impact their lives and their futures, such as gun violence, mental health, 
education, poverty, and gentrification. We follow, hear me, we follow, and we listen and allow these leaders to lead and we don't look down on them because they are young. These are high school students and, and early graduates of high school. We need their energy and we need their creative solutions. We need their wisdom and their willingness to engage the most difficult issues facing their generation in our city. And so we come alongside Pathways to Power. We love incarcerated youth by collaborating with Free Minds Book Club. Free Minds uses books and creative writing and peer support to awaken incarcerated and formerly incarcerated youth and adults to their own potential. Through creative expression, job readiness, and violence prevention outreach, these poets achieve their education and career goals, and they become powerful voices for change in the community. Amy Sawyer has led most of our efforts with Free Minds for years. In Jesus' first sermon, he declared that he has come to set the prisoners free. And so we demonstrate loving others by joining with the work of Free Minds. We love by serving on ministry teams within our church. We show, we show hospitality on Sunday mornings. Some of you don't know, we cleaned every chair in this room this morning. Someone wiped down with a, with a Clorox wipe every single chair in this room. We show hospitality on Sunday mornings, but the hospitality doesn't stop there. Several weeks ago, a number of you, our church, rallied to show love and hospitality to an Afghan family who had just arrived. Some of you are still taking groceries to them and picking them up and driving them to medical appointments until they're able to sustain their new life in this country. Hospitality, friends, isn't just what we do with our friends and family, with people that we know and that we love. Hospitality, the Greek word in the New Testament, is philoxenia, love of the stranger. Love of the stranger. And that is what we're about. And we do that well, both on Sunday mornings and throughout the week. Who we are as a church and how we love also looks like caring for kids and families in the foster care system through DC 127. Their mission is to unite churches in Washington, DC to recruit and support foster families so that no child has to wait for a home. So many of you have come alongside kids and parents to offer a break to lend support to struggling families, whether it's for weeks or for just one night. We gather every month to pray for DC 127's ministries and for the families that they're serving, to see the flourishing of God, of God's kingdom in every life and every sphere of life. We show up for families and for kids in the foster care system. Loving in these ways may not always be easy or convenient, right? But love isn't just a sentiment or that sense of warm fuzzies that we can feel sometimes when we love. Sometimes love looks like taking out the trash when it's late at night and it's raining outside. And all you really want to do is get into your warm, dry bed. Thank you. I see you. Sometimes love is waking up early or staying up late to take a friend to the farthest airport in our city. Sometimes love is packing endless boxes to help move one of your small group members to a better and a safer place. 
Love can be listening. Love can be following instead of leading. Love can be setting aside the important things we want to do so that we can do the simple things that we need to do with and for someone else. One thing is for sure. Love is not just a feeling. Love is an action. It may feel costly or it may feel rewarding, but it will always be an active form of our choice to live in light of God's love. God is the originator of all of this beauty, of all of this wonderful that we get to be involved with. Now, <laughs> I wish I could just wrap up right here and leave us with this list of all the great things that we do to love our neighbor as ourselves. But Jesus doesn't just instruct us to love our neighbors as ourselves. He calls us to love our enemies too. Matthew 5.43 says, You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be the children of your Father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you only greet people, your own people, what are you doing more than others? Don't even the pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. I think it's so interesting that, that Jesus' command to love our enemies is tied to our identity as children of God. How we treat those who are our enemies is bound up in who we are as God's children. As children, we, we bear God's resemblance, as I mentioned earlier, by existing. Human beings have intrinsic, intrinsic worth as creatures who bear God's image within them. This is the foundation for why we are called to love our enemies, because the Imago Dei is found in each and every one of us. And that is what is threatened when we are enemies to one another. We are tempted to see something other than you are an image bearer. When we carry enmity, that is the temptation, to see people as something other than in the image of God. To love our enemies is to refuse to deny the Imago Dei in them and in us. Loving our enemy is not allowing them to damage or deface, harm or destroy the image of God in you. Loving our enemy is not allowing them to damage, deface, harm or destroy the image of God in them. Enmity damage damages both us and our enemies. That's not to say that we should avoid our enemies or ignore them. No, we need to name the enmity and the ways that it threatens both our identities as image bearers of God. I was reading an article by Pastor Melissa Flora Bixler on what it means to love our enemies in the context of immigration issues in the US. And I wanna read part of what she wrote. She said, to love your enemies is to call them out of the world of denial and oppression. To love your enemies is to help them see the truth about themselves and show them that something else is possible. 
To love your enemies is to tell them the story of how once we too were enemies of God and through the love of God who lived, died, and rose among us, we are now called friends. We have enemies because we have hope that one day we might be able to call them friends. We can hold this hope not because of what we're able to do in our own strengths, but because of the gospel. To love our enemies is to proclaim the gospel, is it not? We are no longer bound to enmity. We're no longer bound to enemyhood, to hostility, to hatred. We are liberated from these things by the love of God through the work of Jesus on the cross and in the resurrection. This is the good news. And this is what Jesus modeled for us. God never asks us to do something he hasn't already done. God has loved us first. He loved his enemies first. And we get invited into that experience and the liberation and the beauty of that. We live in light of a God who loved first in creation. He made us in his image and designed us to be fully human when we love. In the incarnation, when Jesus lived and walked the earth, he demonstrated that love. He made us who were his enemies, his friends. There's freedom and there's hope in God's love. There's joy and there's healing for us and for the world when we live into the two great commandments, to love God and to love our neighbor as ourselves. So let me ask you this, how will you live this week? Where can you find yourself in the story of God's great love? Where do you find yourself in this community as we love others here in our neighborhood, in our city, in our world? If you're not sure, let that be your conversation with God this week. Let that be your conversation with God. Where, where's my place? How do I get connected? How do I do something more than, than just going through the motions, than just, uh, than just living a life of do's and don'ts? How do I demonstrate to the world the goodness of God's great love? God loved first, and so we too will love and be marked by that love in the name of Jesus. Will you pray with me? Lord, we are so grateful um, that you are a God of love, that, you, uh, that your love is profound, that our minds... <laughs> Honestly, as much as we try and think about it, we're probably still going to fall short of how incredible your love is. Thank you, Jesus, for, um, for inviting us into a life that can be marked by love. God, be with us this week as we um, process and live out what that might mean, how we might engage with loving our neighbor as ourselves. Holy Spirit, show us. Um, and for those of us who are still figuring out what it means to be a follower of Jesus, show up this week, Jesus. Help us understand that a little more deeply. Help us choose into that love in all the ways this week. We're grateful. Help us to respond to your love. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.